2: Welcome to the program. It's Tuesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up For Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, church questions, pretty much anything on your heart. All you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else will be hands free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer because it's Tuesday. We'll get right to questions. We've got nothing going on. Here's a question from Danny. He says, Pastor Ron, do you think God gives some people new revelation on his word? Danny, I'm so grateful that you asked this question today um, because I'm dealing with some things now where people think God's giving them new insight into things. So in a, in a word, the answer is no. There's no new revelation, period. The Bible is complete. It is final. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says that in the past, God spoke to our forefathers, through the, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us. And literally there in the Greek, it's in son. And the idea there, Danny, is that Jesus is God's final word. So anybody that comes up and saying, well, well I've got new revelation. Or, or God showed me something that he's never shown anybody else before. Uh, those are people that you really, really, really need to steer clear of. Because there's nothing new. I don't like cliches, but I I use it always when I get questions like this. If it's new, it's not true. Period. And if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. This is God's Word. He doesn't change. And Danny, all we have to do is rightly divide the Word of God. Let the Spirit of God that lives in us give us some direction. Let me take this one step farther. Whenever we see new trends come in and through the church, whether it's crazy stuff like the Toronto blessing years ago or, or, um, yeah, or, or any of the offshoots. We, we see crazy things happening in churches. It's always, well, God told me something, and it doesn't line up with what the Word says, and it always ends up with people getting hurt. It always ends up with people being damaged. Um, with the Internet, and, and, and people now being able to watch anybody and everybody on YouTube. Um, there's all kinds of people who, who say, well, God did this or God did that. And, and then we've got that kind of spreading around. And uh, all we need to do is hold on, Danny, to our Bibles. Be workmen, women, rightly dividing the word of God. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing new that we have to worry about or think about. So, Danny, thank you for the question. Um, Every pastor has to deal with this in his church. There's always some super spiritual type who believes that God has shared something with him or with her that he's never shared with anybody else, and that's simply not true. Here is a question from Zach. He says, since we are supposed to judge people inside the church, why do Christians expect unbelievers to live like Christians? Are we supposed to judge unbelievers too? Zach, the answer is uh, is we're not supposed to judge anybody's heart. We're not supposed to judge anybody's heart. Um, We can judge behavior. In fact, we've got a a command to do so. Uh, If somebody says they're a Christian and they're not living like a Christian, in fact, if their life... um, sort of contradicts their statement of faith, um, then, then we got to call them out on it. But those are very objective and, and identifiable behaviors. But relative to judging unbelievers, we should never expect... We should never expect anybody who doesn't know Christ to live like a Christian. I think that's one of the reasons that so many... Uh, Christians end up going down a political rabbit trail. You know, we want unbelievers uh, to hate abortion. It's not going to happen. We want unbelievers to agree with us on social issues. That's not going to happen. Judgment begins at the house of God. So um, we should look first, judging ourselves. Jesus talked about the speck and the beam. You know, we're, we're taking out specks in other people's eyes with big beams in our own. So we need to examine ourselves first, but then we need to look realistically, and I would say critically, I don't mean in a cynical way, but a critical way uh, of the church. What are we doing in church that is causing the world to turn away from Christ? Um, it was Gandhi, I think, who said, uh, I, I quite love your Christ. I'm just not too crazy about Christians. Uh, So uh, it's our responsibility to live lives the way the first century church did. So committed and so full of love that they gain the favor of all the people, believer and unbeliever alike. So no, we shouldn't judge unbelievers. We can simply say your behavior is such that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's just what the Bible says. But but we we should never have any expectations, Zach, of unbelievers behaving like Christians. So I hope that makes sense to you. Um, we're not supposed to judge anybody, and yet we can evaluate based on the evidence people's lives. Yeah, I was right; it was Gandhi in nineteen sixty nine when he said that. So see, that's my crack research department there. Nancy asks. How old is the earth? And is it important to be a young earth believer? Um, Nancy, nobody knows how old the earth is. Now, I take the view that the earth is somewhere between seven and 10,000 years old. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a geologist. Um, but but looking at the, the biblical evidence, uh, we've got that kind of a time frame. Now, relative to how important it is, I don't think the importance of what we believe in this regard can be overstated. If we believe that the earth is millions or billions of years old, if we believe that man has evolved from a lower life form into the the form that we now have, um, then what we've done is we've thrown away everything our Bibles teach us. We've just thrown it away. So to believe that something is millions of years old, or 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 hundreds of thousands of years old, Paula and I will listen to these shows. We watch shows. We were watching an animal show uh, last week, and and I, I'm you know maybe we're just strange, but but we like that. It was animals in Africa, and it was this was about tigers, and and um, and they said, well, these tigers have been roaming the earth for millions of years. And I just thought, Paula, it's just lost all credibility. Let's turn to home and garden TV or something. Because it's important that we understand that the earth was created in six literal days by the hand of God himself, by the word of God himself. Jesus, it is confirmed in the New Testament, is the, the agent of creation. There was nothing that was created that wasn't created by him. Um, and and if you if you take all of that into account, then we've got a young Earth, and we've got a Genesis account that we can take at face value. Um, there are Christians, uh, Nancy, who who uh, believe um, in in an older Earth. They believe uh, based. I think it's a capitulation to, to to bad science these days, but but they believe that that uh, man evolved. Either from a lower life form, um, uh, and and if that's the case, then in my value, in my view rather, uh, I think they too have lost credibility. So um, nobody knows how old the Earth is, but it's not millions and millions of years old. It is um, a young Earth is the only thing that gives us a legitimate explanation of the Book of Genesis. Here is an anonymous question. Pastor Ron, the girl I'm engaged to, and in parentheses, a Christian does not believe homosexuality is wrong. I know it is, but does this change our relationship plans? Uh, anonymous, this is really, uh, an, this is, by the way, one of the reasons that pre counseling is so very, very important. Um, we're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And it is beyond my ability to understand how a real Christian, somebody who has the Holy Spirit living in them. And Jesus said, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you have none of me. So anybody who has the Holy Spirit living in them, it is impossible for me to understand how that person could be a real Christian and also say that homosexuality is okay. So if I were your dad or if I were your pastor, I would absolutely suggest to you that this ought to change your relationship plans. Because either she's not a real Christian or she is a worldly professing believer. And there's going to be a lot of problems in the future. You have children. What are you going to raise them to be? If one of your children comes home and says, uh, I, I think I'm gay, you're not going to stop loving them, but are you going to, are you going to condone the behavior in this exact instance anonymous, one of you would say, oh, it's okay, and the other would say, no, it's not okay. And you can understand the difficulty that that would create, not only that, but the confusion for the child. So um, this is just a, a, a question about somebody's commitment, their real commitment to the Jesus of the Bible. And I don't care how modern somebody is, I don't care how much they've been brainwashed when the Holy Spirit comes to live in us then we have the Spirit who wrote the Word, and He won't contradict Himself. And it is incumbent upon us to stand with Him in the way we view and understand our Bibles. And this is really problematic. I think, Anonymous, this is something that we're seeing more and more and more as the kids that are being raised uh, through our public school system and those who are attached to social media. Um, I think we're seeing um, more and more of situations like this. Uh, we got to decide who we are and we got to decide who we're going to stand with. So yeah, I would say it changes your plans um, completely. And um, I would be really, really careful. Get premarriage counseling right now. As a leader of the home in the future, if the two of you get married, you're responsible for the spiritual condition of your house. Now, you can't make your wife believe. Don't misunderstand me. But you're responsible to set a standard, a standard that won't be compromised. It's your responsibility. So I hope that helps. Here is a question that came in from our email inbox from Kevin. Hi, Pastor Ron. I pray all is well. Thank you, Kevin. It is? I'm currently studying the Hebrew language and must say it's quite interesting. Uh, Our class uses the Apocrypha. Question, why were these books taken from the Bible? Were they in the Bible, then taken out, or was the Apocrypha added to the Bible? Thank you for taking my question. Uh, Kevin, the Apocrypha was never a part of the Hebrew canon. Never. Uh, These are not uh, books that were written by God. They're not inspired by the Spirit of God. They have errors and contradictions, most importantly, they contradict um, um, the books that we know are a part of the canon of Scripture. And of course, the internal consistency of our Bibles is of paramount importance. So um, the, the the Apocrypha uh, was never a part of the Jewish canon, never recognized as such. I am a little surprised that the class that you're studying Hebrew in would use the Apocrypha uh, because most Jews simply wouldn't. Um, um, maybe this is a secular school and you're, and you're, you're learning the language. Uh, Hebrew is very hard to learn. Um, I've just dabbled at it a little bit and it's very, very difficult. But please don't be misled. These books were not taken out of the Bible. They were sort of added to the Old Testament scriptures, but never really accepted by Jews as a part of the canon. So, Kevin, thank you for the question. Um, hope that makes sense. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, Andrea, <laughs> Andrew, I'm laughing now. When I got this question, I was uh, I was laughing at myself. Um, Andrew says, "I visited your church yesterday." I'm sure she probably means Sunday. And heard two or three loud outbursts during worship. Is that out of order? And is it something that happens all the time in your church? Andrea, um, that's Sean probably. And no, it's not out of order at all. You know, uh, I, I remember when, when the first started. Sean is a, a young man who served so faithfully for such a long time here. And he is a he, just a wonderful guy. Just a wonderful man. And, um, and he gets excited during worship sometime and he'll let out a woo kind of thing. And I, I remember when, 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 he first came, it was coming from sort of the back of the church. And I wonder, what is it? And it couldn't identify. Well, it, it became clear that that's what it was. And I'm going to tell you, Andrea, our church actually has really grown to love it and we miss it. Now he's not out of order. He's not interrupting anything at all. Um, it's just now that we know him, there's actually times when he doesn't come to church, or if we're in a different service, I'll lean over to Paul and say, this is where the uh, uh, who would be. And so that's what you heard. And um, uh, Sean has been coming to our church for a very long time. And uh, and the, the church, he's family. And while, while all the families have some oddballs in it, Um, We love our oddballs, and Sean is um, one of our oddballs, and I say that in the most flattering way. um, His heart is so pure and so right in worship, uh, we, we actually add to it. In fact, Sean has sort of been made an honorary member of the worship team, so... Uh, that's what you heard, and no, that's not out of order at all. Uh, we don't let people run around. We don't let people bring their own musical instruments or tambourines into the church. Uh, our worship is decent and in order, but but this is just part of who we are, and it's uh, sort of evolved over the years, and I actually love it. Um, it was a couple of weeks ago um, when Sean was not at his service. He was He was serving in children's ministry. And um, there was a, a place in the song where everybody knows Sean would get a woo and, and, uh, and somebody else did it. And I thought, hey, that's a counterfeit woo. We, we don't need that right now. But but we actually really, really enjoy it. So I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Jennifer. Uh, Pastor Ron, how do you keep hope with all the ugliness going on in the world right now? I could give you a, a, an hour-long answer, Jennifer, um, or the short one. I'll I'll choose the short one. Um, I keep my eyes on Jesus. He's the source of my hope. And I think people that are overwhelmed by all the ugliness in the world right now, using your word, I think the people that are overwhelmed are looking too much at this world, not only looking too much out at the world, but they're expecting too much from the world. There's just no way that we are ever told in Scripture that the world here is going to be better and better and better. I know it makes us feel good, um, but it's not true. And if you really understand that, read 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning of the first verse, and you get Paul saying, this is what the world is going to look like in the last days, and it's going to get worse and worse. Uh, I know there are a lot of pastors out there, especially those who are politically inclined uh, with their messages. Uh, they're always trying to give people hope. It's not too late. We can change the world. Vote this and do this. And we've got we've to hold our leaders accountable kind of thing. Uh, they're giving people false hope. So here's what we understand. We understand that our source of hope has nothing whatsoever, Jennifer, to do with this world. Our hope is Jesus. One of the reasons I tell our church, and I've now said it many times on this program as well, just be with Jesus if you focus your life on that one thing. And you'll always have hope. And then what happens as a result is you look at the ugliness in the world and you do two things. First, you begin to pray for people more. But not that their lives get better. You pray that they'll come to know Jesus Christ. The other thing that you'll do is you'll begin sharing the source of your hope with people more. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit in you will fill you with such joy and such personal hope. When you start seeing people getting saved, Jennifer, then your hope will come flooding back, but it's a true living hope that we have. So I don't really expect much of this world. Now, that doesn't make me negative. It doesn't make me a, a, a pessimist. Just it's the reality that our Bible teaches us. You know, I've, I, I'm have i probably giving you the longer answer anyway, Jennifer. Thank God I don't have an hour. We've got about four minutes left in this half of the program. But Paul and I, we talk about this a lot. We'll say, you know, together in prayer with well, Jesus, how do you do it? How did you do it? You, you were here. You were a human, and you saw all the pain. And Jesus saw horrible things, demon possession. He saw leprosy. He saw blind people. He saw cripples. He saw the way that the religious leaders who were supposed to be representing God treated them. And it broke his heart. And yet he was always filled with joy. Why? Because he was doing his father's business. He was working. The father works and I'll be working. So too will the son work. And so that's how we keep going. Remember, my hope isn't that somebody who's living a life apart from Jesus Christ will suddenly have a better life. My hope isn't in a political election. My hope isn't in social justice reform. My hope is in Jesus. And he's the only answer, Jennifer, to the pain in this world. for all have sinned and are falling short of the glory of God and that's in the continuous present tense so it means it never stops Jesus is the hope when the world is only evil all the time Jesus is still the hope and so we have a message of hope we've just got to stop hoping for things in this world And I think that is a particular plague in the church in the United States. It's been so easy for us to be Christians. I just think we're not willing to sacrifice. And the idea that life is going to get worse until Jesus comes for us is frankly too much for a lot of us to take. So Jennifer, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher or perfecter of our faith. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us to do. The Apostle Paul tells us to set our minds and our hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And while I'm not the equivalent of the Apostle Paul in either of those cases, I always just say, just be with Jesus. When you hang out with him, he's fun. He's fun. When you hang out with Jesus, he's got direction for you. When you hang out with Jesus, he's going to bring people into your life, people that need help. And he'll use you if you'll give him the opportunity to do so. So that's how I keep hope because my hope never goes away. That doesn't mean, Jennifer, that I don't have difficult times. Uh, we've lost some people. Our hearts break. We see, you know, when your church grows, um, you meet more people. When you meet more people and fall in love with them, uh, you go through all of the things in life with them, the good things and the tragic things. And all you do is you love them because that's what Jesus would do. So, Jennifer, hope that makes sense to you. We have 30 minutes left in our Tuesday show. Uh, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. This is the word to stand up for life, 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes.
0: Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, 340-9585. Let's start with Alan on line one from San Antonio. Alan, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
1: Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you? All right.
2: I'm doing well. Alan, how are you doing?
1: I, I missed you a lot. I just wanted to check in with you and say hello. Uh, I've been trying to move out of my house
0: here for the longest
1: time, and so um, it's all a lot of work, and anyways, I just, Jesus has been helping me, so, and I've been listening to your show a lot, and I miss, <laughs> miss you a lot, and I uh, just pray for you and Paul all the time, and wanted to say hi and check in with you and just tell you I love Jesus, and you
2: <laughs> Alan God bless you man you are so kind I appreciate it very very much hope you're feeling well and you are continuing in our prayers see that's why I do a radio program like this just love 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 to interact with the people here is a question from anonymous uh, how should Christians view and deal with depression um I don't want to be trite with this, um, um, anonymous. Depression is real. Uh, it is a tool that the devil uses um, in in ways that I can't even describe. Um, so, first of all, when you're depressed, uh, you need to do the very things that you feel that you don't feel like doing. You need to get in the Word. You need to pray. The The last things you want to do, those are things you need to fight through and do. So depression is real. And I think a lot of times depression is a tool, as I said, that's used by the enemy. And I don't think it's organic or chemical. Um, they're, they're, I'll, I'll deal with that part of the depression in a moment. And so the first thing we ought to do is we... We, we feel ourselves spiraling into a depression. It starts with discouragement and, and, and spirals out of control. Uh, we need to be tougher. Anonymous, we need to fight. And I just don't think we're very good at fighting. Um, we also need to realize that depression is a huge problem. And Christians, real believers, suffer from depression. Whether it's organic, chemical, clinical depression... Um, um, you know, the first thing I would do, and I tell people here at the church when they tell me they're 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 suffering with depression, we want them to go get physically checked out medically. Want to be sure that there's not a a, a physiological cause. Um, then I want them to be honest enough and and just are okay. Where's the source? When did it come? Is this something that you're you're dealing with? Um, you haven't been in the Word. You haven't been in prayer if they've been in the word if they've been in prayer if they're struggling with it then they need to get help now i'm not a big psychology guy um but there are some psychologists who really love jesus find one find one and if you need to be medicated remember we got the responsibility to serve the lord every day and if you need medication to do that, that's okay. It's not a lack of faith. So depression is something that we have to to deal with. It's it's if we don't, the enemy will pile it on and on and on and on. And honestly, and this is only my opinion, so I don't want to be misquoted here, but it's my opinion that most of the depression is spiritual in the source, and most of it stems from Christians dabbling in sin or not doing the things that we need to do to to resist an enemy who wants to destroy us. And we need to fight. We need to fight. Our Bibles tell us how to fight. All we have to do is provide the resolve to fight. And it can't be a decision that we make emotionally. It can't be a decision that's based on what we feel like doing. It's got to be a decision um, to get up and do things. You know, Paula, bless her heart, when she deals with women who are depressed, I don't hear on the other end of the phone, or you know, my end of the phone conversation, I'll hear her say things all the time. Uh, to, to, I want you to get out of bed, take a shower, put some clothes on, and call me back. And we all do it in, in Paula's heart there, is get up, get moving, let's find Jesus together. And I think that, that deals with most of the depression that we encounter. Having said that, again, I don't want to be misunderstood here. Having said that, there there is depression that's real. There are people that I know who love Jesus with all of their heart, who've struggled with it most of their lives. And if they need to be medicated in order to let their light shine, then that's exactly what they ought to do. So we certainly shouldn't view people who suffer from it as being broken or having no faith, that is uh, miserable. That's like Job's counselors. That's miserable counsel. Uh, on the other hand, we have to be, those of us who suffer, those of uh, Christians who suffer with depression, we got to be honest enough to, to say, okay, Lord, examine my heart. Am I Am I fighting? Am I in the Word? Am I hanging out with you? I refuse to apologize for telling people that the Bible says in his presence is the fullness of joy. It's hard to be depressed when you're full of joy, when you're hanging out with Jesus. And when we fall into depression, it's because we're falling farther and farther away from him, and we're getting closer and closer to the things that cause the depression, and it's our focus that needs to change. So anonymous, that's the best I can do with that. I'm not a psychologist, um, but I really, really, really
1: trust my Bible.
2: Let's go to Ruben from Seguin online too. Reuben, Ruben, thanks for calling.
1: You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. As always, I, I thank you, and I pray that you're doing well today. Thank you, Ruben. Hey, can I stop you
2: before you start? you you've you've yep. talked to us a lot of times about dealing with depression you you've you've got a lot of experience with it what what would you say to that last question uh,
1: thank you for uh for asking me because actually I wanted to address that before uh I asked my question uh to whom uh asked the question i don't know if it was a guy or a girl but it doesn't really matter um this is what I would say everything that you said everything is Spot on. What I would suggest to this person who is dealing with depression, number one, check yourself. Uh, I don't mean that in a bad way, but check yourself. What are you doing? Um, Are you dabbling in sin? Uh, Because that's what I had to do with myself. I had to check myself, and I was dabbling in sin. Mm. Therefore, I opened the door for the enemy to come in and put depression in my life um, to the point. And Ruben,
2: Ruben, Ruben, just so just so people know, you've called this radio program at times when you were very, very, very low places in your life. Yes.
1: Yes. I called. I have called while I was very low in depression to the point of uh, almost suicidal. And um, the enemy had me, but uh, the the thing I would say is that this is this is the enemy. When you're at your lowest, is when the enemy is going to hit you the hardest, uh-huh. and then he's going to throw. Cause he threw this at me. Well, you're not a Christian because if you're a Christian, you wouldn't be doing this. And God is not going to forgive you for what you did, and he would throw it at you, and he will throw it at you, and throw it at you until the point to where you you don't feel. Like, you can get up. if, like, uh, Let me use this, this, this boxing analogy. Now, uh, good boxers are trained to give body shots. And if you look at a boxing match, you'll see boxers hit the body more than anything else because they know that if they get the body to get weary, that the rest of his body, he's not going to be able to lift up his arms because he's so fatigued with his body that it's going to be hurting. Now, the enemy does the same thing. He gives you body shots and body shots, and he'll throw everything at you. He'll throw temptation at you. He'll throw guilt. Oh, my God, guilt is the biggest thing that he'll throw at you. The, but, but how you fight, is what this is what you do. First of all, you go to Christ. Like, like Pastor Ron said, do the things that you don't feel like doing. Because I remember a time where I called Pastor Ron and said, I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like it. And he told me, well, then that's when you're supposed to read it. <laughs> and, that's, and I remember that day clearly. That's what he told me. That's when you're supposed to read it, when you don't feel like it. And to, you know, to fight depression, that's what you have to do, my my friend. You have to get into the Word, even if you don't feel like it. and if you And if the enemy is throwing guilt on you while you're reading it, just read it and fight your way through it. Yeah. Cause believe me, believe me. What Pastor Ron said, it, it is so true. And don't let the enemy accuse you of anything. And if it gets to the point to where you have to get medicated, then do it in the name of Jesus. But also, if you have to get counseling, be wise. Be wise to who you get counsel from there are a lot of psychiatrists, a lot of counselors out there who don't believe in Christ. I thank God that I found a Christian counselor who I went to, and she is Bible-based. And I, and I tested her, because the Bible says, test the spirits. You have to test the spirits. And I thank God that I found her. And and she is Bible based and she has helped me through everything but uh Pastor Ron has helped me through a lot. There's been a lot of times where he has counseled me over the phone and I didn't like it but it was godly. It was godly and I think that's why I keep calling Pastor Ron and I know one day I'm gonna end up at the church. One day uh I'm gonna end up at the church, but but to stay in the staying on the on the topic of depression, um, I've been there. I've been there, and uh, sometimes the enemy wants to bring it back, you know, and I'm fighting it still, you know, but...
2: Yeah, Ruben, thank thank you for being so honest and opening your heart. I'm sure
1: that helped a lot of people. What's your question? My question is this. Um, my dealing with my mom and my, my family, my brothers and my sisters, have turned against me, and... Uh, um, they allowed me to see her one time last Friday, and it broke my heart to see the way she was. Um, but now they won't let me see her again. So my question is: I don't want to have resentment towards them. I don't want to hate them. I don't want to have anything to, you know, against them. And I've asked God. I think I've asked. I said, Lord, please. You know, I don't want this. You know. release it uh hatred anger resentment uh revenge um every possible thing that could possibly be out there you know i want what i want to know is you know how do i know if i if i've let it go how do i know if 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 i've really let let all that anger and, and and revenge and hatred and bitterness go yeah, Re-
2: Reuben, that's a hard one, but but let me let me the, the surest way to know is to pray for those people, and there will come a time when when as you're praying for them, you'll know that you're free from the anger that has bound you in the past. Um, um, I, I've I've hated one man in my life, uh, I hated him. Uh, I mean, to a place where where my life was filled with sin because of that hatred. And after I got saved, and I knew I could no longer hate him because Jesus loves him, um, I began praying for him and his family. And um, um, there were times I had to pray through clenched teeth. Um, But but as you pray for people that cause you difficulty, God will change your heart toward them. And you'll do that because he wants uh, to be able to answer your prayers. So just pray for them. And, and, and there will come a time when the Spirit will will let you know that you're free from all of the anger and all of the bitterness and that your prayers are really coming from the heart of God. Now, that doesn't mean that the enemy won't keep trying to push that button and, and, and bring it all back to you, but you just have to keep resisting. And what I've I've done in my life in situations is just... If, if the enemy pushes those buttons again, then I pray even more. And pretty soon the enemy doesn't want me praying, so pretty soon he's going to go on to something else. But um, you just keep praying for them. You can't change your heart, but I promise you the Holy Spirit will. And as he changes your heart, that moment will come. When you just know, then when the devil lies to you another time, he catches you at a weak time, you you can say, no, 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 I've let that go. And I know I've let it go. And you can identify more clearly the source of those thoughts. And whenever the source of any thought that we have is is the enemy, uh, we just just need to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Reuben, thank you very, very much. And I pray that your mom will be doing well. 340-9585 Three four zero ninety five eighty five 9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Oliver. Uh, how should we pray for God to change us from our old habits? Um, Oliver, you're a believer. Your question makes it clear. So here's the thing you've got to do. You've got to have the faith to know that you're changed. Second Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old, uh, the new has come. The, the old is gone and the new has come. Um, You've got to ask yourself, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that verse? Now, we all know that the Bible is written by God, so we got to believe it all. But we don't act like we believe that. And so here's the thing. You've got to thank God, praise God for the fact that you aren't who you used to be. That he's already delivered you from those things. And then you've got to have the discipline. The personal discipline. To simply. Get rid of those things that you know are. Representative more of the old you. You know if you read through the Apostle Paul's. Epistles. He has a theme that runs through them. And it's uh, get rid of or throw off. And, And I love that because. What he's saying is, look, God has already done the work. All we have to do is have the faith to appropriate it. Get rid of all such things as these, he writes. And then there's a list of those things. So whatever your old habit is, um, if you're drinking, you just say, uh, I'm not going to drink. Jesus, uh, when you get the temptation to drink, Jesus, I'm not going to give in. I'd rather be with you. And so you make that choice. But here's the thing that I, I do. It's just hard for people to understand we, we've we already been delivered. I've got a question I won't get to today, but it's about deliverance ministries. We've been delivered once and for all by the blood that was shed for us on the cross and by the fact that there was an empty tomb. Jesus is alive. So we've been delivered. We are free from the control of sin. Paul says sin shall no longer have dominion or control. And all we have to do is believe it. And then our part is making the right choices every day. So uh, if if your old habit is angry, or anger, and you, you get angry all the time, you got to realize that's not a fruit of the Spirit. If you're unkind, that's not a fruit of the Spirit. And you've got to decide that you're going to walk with Jesus and enjoy what He's done for you. Instead of looking at, well, why don't you take away the temptation? He's already Taken away the sin and the control of that sin. But, but he wants you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to manage the temptation. And he's teaching us to stand our ground against those lies. So, Oliver, that's the best way to do it right there. Three four zero ninety is a question called into the studio just Thomas. now. How, from Thomas. How do I know when the enemy is pushing my buttons... Or is it my own personal feelings? Thomas, here's how you know the enemy is pushing your buttons. Always. He never stops. So he'll use your personal feelings. He will manipulate your personal feelings. But he's always going to push buttons. The devil is the button pusher. And so he's always going to be pushing those buttons. And what you've got to do, as I said earlier, take those thoughts captive and make them obedient and when the buttons are being pushed, or in your case, you say your personal feelings, if you're getting angry or some something going to pass is starting to come up, um, you've got to decide what you're going to do with it. Go to Galatians chapter five and start with verse nineteen, and it lists a whole bunch of behaviors ugly, ugly behaviors, the things that we're supposed to get rid of or throw off and then go to verse twenty two and read the things that identify the man or the woman walking in the power of the Spirit—love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. So you get to choose, simply by identifying. This thought is the ugly list. This thought's the good list. Acting like that is the ugly list. This thought is the good list. Then you got to choose. Do you want to walk with Jesus? Or do you want to chase him away every day? So that's what you have to do, and it's something you have to do every day. That's why we wrestle every day with our flesh. That's why Paul tells us that we're to make no provision for the flesh. And a lot of this, as I mentioned in the previous question, is just about faith. Do we have enough faith to believe that God has delivered us already from the things we used to do, or the, the the person that we used to be, or are we going to be subject to the lies of an enemy, and fall prey to those old things all over again? So that's all we have to do, Thomas. The enemy's always going to be pushing buttons. Don't look for or, or expect anything else. So that's the important thing. Personal feelings don't matter. God gives the Holy Spirit and power to those who obey. That's Acts five thirty two. Thank you, for the, thank you for the question, Thomas. Appreciate it very, very much. We're inside four minutes. This has gone really fast today. Um, Nikki, this will take the rest of my time. Nikki says, um, I want to get back to the times before when I could feel God's presence. What am I doing wrong? Um, Nikki, this isn't about feelings. Now, I don't know for sure ever what people mean when they say they feel God's presence. Uh, does it mean you get goosebumps? Um, I'm I'm in God's presence all day every day. Um, if I choose to sin, then I can chase Him away. But the idea is, I want to be in the presence of the Lord all day every day. Um, when you get into the presence of the Lord, sometimes it's a struggle. You know, when we're brand new believers, I got to tell you, Nikki, I had goosebumps all the time. I had goosebumps all the time. I I thought I was hearing from God all the time as a new believer. And and you know, sometimes I was, sometimes I wasn't. But here it doesn't matter what you feel. Because Jesus has said he'll never leave you or forsake you. Do you have the faith to believe that? Nikki, it's likely that you've walked away from Jesus and walked towards sin. So if that's the case, you've got to repent. Confess that what you're doing is wrong. You're doing the things that you know God doesn't want you to do. And as you confess, you say, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't want to do it anymore. And he'll welcome you back into his presence. And then you got to know regardless of what you feel. you got to know that he's there. So I, I don't know you. I don't know what you're doing. But it's not a matter of doing right or wrong. It's a matter of whether or not your heart is right or wrong. Jesus wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus. And he commended them, Nikki, for doing a lot of good things. And then he said, yet I hold this one thing against you. You have forsaken your first love. That means they were once in love with Jesus. His love was what empowered the church. But some years have passed, and now they're just kind of going through the motions. They're doing the right thing still. But they're doing it without a heart that's committed to and submitted to Jesus Christ. So here's what you do. You go back to that place of your first love. That's Jesus' course of correction for the church at Ephesus. Return. Remember the things that you did at first. So do those things. Nikki, get up in the morning and read your Bible. Doesn't matter whether you feel like it or not, just do it. Ask God to meet you. Ask the Holy Spirit to fall upon you. And then talk to Jesus. Take a walk with him. Go into a room all by yourself with him. Whatever you need to do. But just spend time with the Lord. And then it won't be a matter of having to feel his presence. I promise you, you will know that he's there. Beyond any doubt, you will know that he's there. And that's all you'll need. So, Nikki, just be with Jesus. You can hear the music. We are out of time for today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Grateful that you tuned in today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.